0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest Autocar Business Live webinar. My name is Mark Tishaw, and I am the editor of Autocar. Today's topic looks at the ever-changing role of the car dealer, and we will explore that even though there is so much disruption to the way cars are bought and sold, why the car dealer has never been more important. We have three speakers today who have kindly given up an hour of their time to be with us today. First, we have Martin Shull, COO of Rockar Tech, who provide OEM's full end-to-end online platforms that support traditional franchise and direct models. Tony Whitehorn has spent his entire career in the automotive industry and spent 17 years, most notably, at Hyundai Motor UK, including a hugely successful period as president and CEO, overseeing the exponential growth of the brand in the UK, He now works as an advisor and consultant to many companies in the automotive industry. Finally, Matthew Patchett joins us, who is senior CX strategist at Reputation. And it is Reputation who we hold this webinar in association with today. Reputation, the automotive customer experience specialist that is changing the way companies gather and act on customer feedback to drive decision-making and enhance customer experience programs. Please do ask any questions uh, you have for uh, any of our panelists today using the form uh, on your screen, and we'll get to the, as many of them as possible. I've already had a couple come in, so please do keep them coming in. So, Tony, let's, let's come to you first for a bit of scene setting. How do you view the role of the car dealer now, and how quickly is that
1: changing? Okay, yeah, hi, Mark. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, I think that the fundamental uh, situation of the car dealer hasn't fun- really changed over well, forever, really. And the why, why is that? It's because people want to have a a local reference point for when they buy something like a motor car. They want to go back to somebody physical because something might go wrong with it. And so, so the car dealer itself hasn't really changed in terms of its presence. How will it change? I think what's going to change is the emphasis which is being placed upon the dealer by the national sales companies or the OEMs. And that's because they are being hit big time with growing costs and their margins have reduced significantly. They need to go and find more margin and the best way for them, they believe to go and get it is to go and take some of that margin away from the dealer itself and therefore use that for themselves and prop up their costs. So yes, it will change, but it hasn't changed dramatically until now. Thank you, Tony.
0: So, so Matthew, can you tell us about some of the work you do as reputation with car dealers and how that work is beginning to change and evolve? Uh,
2: Yeah. Good morning, everybody. So we're a a software as a service organisation. Within Automotive, we work with OEMs and dealer groups, and we effectively help manage their consumer feedback from acquisition through to loyalty. So in terms of acquisition, we help clients with their online reputation. So ensuring that they look as good as possible as they can online. So information on my Google My Business page to review volumes and responses, um, which ensures ultimately that key information is accurate um, and ultimately it makes um, them easier to be found by their customers online. Then on the loyalty side, it's all about using solicited customer feedback. So voice of customer program to understand where within the customer journey clients are performing well and where they need to focus. So we do this through key metrics, text and sentiment analysis, and action planning. And then I suppose in terms of evolution, Mark, to your point, um, so we're starting to see that online reputation is becoming more and more important. Um, So we have our patented reputation score, which looks at a number of online metrics. um, And this is being used more and more by our clients as a key metric and for remuneration. So if customers don't like what they see online, uh, they'll simply scroll past onto the next business. Um, and that's all done within a, a fraction of a second. So that's where we try and help.
0: Thank you, Matthew. Uh, and Martin a, a similar question to you. What is rock role with dealers at the moment and how is that evolving? Well, you're, you're just on mute there. I think, uh, Martin. Oh, we've not, we've not got sound for you, Martin. We'll come back to you while, while we just test the line, Tony. I was wondering um, just just to build on on, on your point uh, before. Then, agency is the word on everyone's lips, and, and you, you touched on it there. And this isn't a webinar purely about agency, but I think it's let's get the elephant in the room out of the way. It's clear this is driving the change more than anything else in dealers at the moment.
1: Yeah, and, and understandably, it's very interesting as well to have a look at people who are coming new to the marketplace. So, Polestar really, you know, a good example. Um, they don't have any legacy. They don't have any heritage, but they haven't got any legacy. So therefore, what they're saying is, what do we think is the best way to go to market in this in this day and age? And they've gone immediately with agency model. You start to have a look at some of the new people coming to market. So Neo, they, they will go direct. Um, people like um, Lincoln Co, they will go direct. So all the new entrants, without any dealer legacy, are going either direct or agency models. So that, to me, says something about the environment in which in which we see uh, things moving forward. And the thing is, is that of course Mercedes have gone um, agency. Um, we've now got VW who have changed their whole uh, infrastructure in terms of their um, uh, their management structure. They're talking about head of direct sales. So they're going to go agency at some time. And of course their EVs are. So there is this, this sort of bow wave that is starting to come on the agency model. The minute that somebody really starts to go full agency is the minute other people follow. So it is coming, um, whether we like it or not, it is coming, but lots of people are waiting to see how successful it is and where are the pitfalls. And while some people want to be an early adopter. Other people want to just see where the issues are going to be.
0: Thank you, Tony. Martin, are you up and running? Can we, can we hear you?
3: I think so. Can you hear me now?
0: Loud and clear. So we'll- Perfect.
3: Uh... <laughs> Yeah, don't know what went wrong there. Good morning, everybody. Yes, uh, Rock Car Tech, what are we doing? Well, we provide OEMs full end-to-end e-commerce platforms that enable customers to do as much Or as little as they want to do online but we're not just a technology company because our sister company rock car retail were pioneers of online omnichannel retail we've developed methodologies and and ways to operate in this space so we don't just deliver a technology solution there there you go and 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 not give you an idea how to use it we've got a specialist team within our, our client performance group which help coach and, and show how you should be operating correctly in this space to maximise the opportunity.
0: Thank you, Martin. So perhaps staying at the agency point, uh, Matthew, how will direct sales change the customer experience itself?
2: Um, I think it's really interesting because I think there's I think probably a pendulum in terms of i suppose how people will approach it and and as it was mentioned earlier in terms of people seeing kind of lighting the touch paper and kind of then maybe following the wave but i think ultimately people like to buy from people um and i think you know we're seeing more and more information around actually price and product is becoming less of a factor and actually customer experience is becoming more of a driving factor obviously that may change slightly or potentially is seen slightly different with the with the value of car purchase but i think You know, the experience is still key um, in in terms of that longevity, then around aftermarket care, you need to make a fantastic first impression in terms of then retaining those customers and building that relationship. Um, So I think experience becomes more more important than ever. You know, we've got a cost of living crisis, you know, aftermarket care is going to become a a challenge um, and people need to or will want to go somewhere where they know that their experience is going to be as good as it can be and actually that their product is well looked after.
0: Tony, how, are, are customers looking for a new way of buying cars, would you say? Or is this sort of change being
1: forced upon them? Um, I think it's I think that the whole thing is being driven by the OEMs. Let's be honest about that. Um, this is this is about economics. You know, they need to make more margin. So let's just put that there. That's that's really why it's happening now as electrification happens, so they're margin reduced. So that's why it's happening. Is it beneficial to the customer? what it does is it absolutely give transparency um mm. and i know that rockar and martin would agree with this in terms of and i know that uh, you know rockar did um uh, had their platform working out in south africa uh, with bmw and that that's a complete agency model um so if you're going to sell the car online properly and have transparency you have to go direct or agency model and to be honest i think that Millennials, Gen Zs—they—they they are very much into buying immediately. What you know, the prices—the price is what they get. So they're not into haggling. So I do think there's a trend that is coming. I do think that is driven by the by the OEMs, stroke NSCs. But actually, I think that the customer really wants that as well.
3: I would agree with you, Tony. I think you know I've been in this space for 23 years now. So 23 years ago, I commenced research with groups of consumers to find out what they didn't like and what they did like about the um, the supply chain and how they could purchase the products from from the remote industry. And overwhelmingly, back then, 20 years ago, it was the haggling. It was the competitive nature of the experience they didn't like. So I think one of the things about D2C brings for the, to the consumer is it just removes that. It removes that combative element of the experience. So, you know, most dealers and dealer networks now have got fantastic facilities with some fantastic people. So it's about refocusing what they do in those showrooms. And and no longer, because there isn't this fight about the price or the The lack of transparency and and that combative nature of the whole thing, it doesn't need to exist anymore. So we can focus on delivering really great, strong, immersive experiences, which actually is what customers love and what car dealers should be really good at. And and it's something to embrace.
1: Yeah, I think think what's quite interesting is that um, the, the dealer network or the retailers have got to look at what they've got today and actually change slightly what they do today in order to capitalize on the changing environment. It's no good just doing what you've always done because you'll get what you've always got. And when, when, when the market changes, that's not very effective. So I do believe that you're going to have some sort of um, direct stroked agency model. So that does not mean the, the dealer is not there anymore. Actually it's the complete opposite. I think as Matthew was saying, it's very much about that interpersonal skills. But how does the dealer change in that new environment? And that's what the deal they shouldn't be scared of it. Dealers should not be scared of this. What they should do is just embrace it, but do things differently.
0: Yeah,
2: and just to add to that point, if I can, Mark, in terms of, I think, customer expectations are continuing to grow. Um, And I think in terms of your experience and expectation, customers aren't just comparing you to other automotive locations. They're comparing you to other brands outside of industry. So we're currently working with a, a premium brand. And actually, although they're interested in seeing what competitors or direct competitors are doing, they're also really interested to understand what other premium brands are doing. So actually you can't just look within the auto bubble. You have to see what other industries are doing. Customers becoming more and more aware through social channels. They know what good looks like. They know what a good experience should feel like. Um, so it is around kind of really broadening. And as Tony said, you've got to continue to, to evolve and, and provide ultimately kind of those wow moments. How do you kind of stand out and differentiate yourself from others around you?
0: Matthew, just, just staying with you, what, what kind of you know, feedback do customers give online, and where do they give it? And does that end up in front of uh, in front of dealers? And does that does that ever drive behavioural change within them?
2: yeah absolutely so um i think online as you know and tony mentioned it as well in terms of i suppose the millennials you know my children have a very different way of communicating and interacting than than i did when i was young um and and people are quite vocal they you know if they put something out in the public domain they expect a, an immediate response so i think that kind of ethos is is growing and growing and um you know we see all types of feedback in terms of you know anything around delivery delays or you know people just not being acknowledged when they walk in the dealership and and that's how we try and help we try and help surface that information understand through the entire customer journey you know what people are doing well where they need to focus and really trying to support organizations drive on those pain points and and, you know make informed business decisions that will help er eradicate any kind of friction really
0: already got some some good questions coming in as well as a a comment to you tony on your point on uh, on Chinese brands, but a question from, from Pat Hoy. Why do some OEMs think they can run a successful car retail operation? Very few, if any attempts at such have been truly successful, a well-run dealer or dealer group with great local market knowledge and the fe- flexibility to respond to that knowledge unencumbered by the straitjacket of centralized marketing and sales process will provide consumers of a far better service and deal. Do you know, do you yeah,
1: want I'll come to- in I'll on that one. Certainly do you know, he's dead right. I mean, I've worked for, as you know, I've worked for a few OEMs um, and the OEMs fundamentally, what are they good at? Sales, marketing, distribution. They are not good at retailing. That is not what their core competency is. So that's why the dealer network is still going to be around. Um, And it's, what's important is that the NSC and the dealer should have a, a very transparent relationship. And that the, the, it is the dealer who still has the interaction with the customer, not the OEM, Um, because although they might do the, 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 the online and they might do the transaction, the relationship is still with the dealer themselves. Under GDPR, of course, there's going to be some challenges, but I believe that a good dealer will capitalize on the agency model such that when the car gets, let's say a good example, so. Transaction's done online. It's done through the Rockard system, and uh, the customer comes in. He comes to the handover. It's at that point whereby the dealer now has the opportunity to build a relationship with the customer. It might be the first time that he's seen them when they come to hand over the car. But that's the opportunity they can sell add-ons. That's the opportunity that they can ensure that through GDPR that they can have an ongoing relationship with the dealer net, net with the the customer. So it's a very different situation. The emphasis is on the good handover. It's not on the deal negotiation.
3: I think, you're, I think you're right there, Tony. I think additionally, I think I think there's a massive myth going on at the moment to say that OEMs want to pivot to become the retailers. They don't. That's why they've still got dealers and retailers in in place what they're merely moving over is, is to a D to C model is that transparent pricing we were talking about five minutes ago. And it's about understanding what part do you play in the sales funnel and how, how you can work together to complement the the whole proposition to, to deliver all the fine points that Tony was talking about. But I think we shouldn't get too hung up on, on OEMs suddenly changing their, their, their head office to become a retailer. That's not what, what it's a, it, it's about at all it's about delivering a an, an experience and a proposition that's fit for purpose you know the the world's changed significantly for everybody you know covid really kicked, kicked that off didn't it but we're seeing that we've talked about rising costs earlier on but we've got rising employment uh, utilities stock shortages you know the new entrants coming because online is as tony so talked about earlier, those those new market entrants coming in with completely different supply chains. You've got people nibbling away at used cars, buying stock directly off consumers. You know, the whole world has changed. It's probably never been more dynamic. So I think the industry needs to embrace the change and, and the tools that are, are becoming available to take these challenges head on.
2: I think as well, just to add to the points that Tony and Martin have made, it's around the power of moments. So actually if the customer journey is changing slightly in their, you know, their, their interaction with a, a location is less it's around seizing that opportunity. So as Tony mentioned, in terms of handover, actually that then becomes the really powerful moment um, and great customer experience isn't driven by luck or judgment. It's around actually thinking about that journey, thinking about the processes that really work. Um, and I think again, it's around really making or taking advantage of those interactions and really excelling in those areas.
3: Yeah. and I just well, coming back on one other point but this D2c move there, that, this is a fundamental shift of course and I guess it would be naive to think if um, nothing would change for you in your day-to-day life as a dealer and and if you don't look at what you need to do and what need, you need to change, then then that's probably not going to work for you. So I think it's about making sure you've understood what your what your part in this new relationship is and and structure the businesses accordingly.
0: Matthew, a lot of this involves fundamentally switch to digital and, and kind of more digitized processes. The power of Google can't be underestimated as well. How, how much influence has Google had over the customer experience um, over the years? Yeah, Google is massive. They're, they're just a juggernaut, aren't they? So, um,
2: you know, a, a lot of obviously brands will invest in, in their website and rightly so in terms of key information. But what I suppose we're realizing is that Google has become the front door really for a lot of brands um, and customers will search. That's kind of where they go. That's where their first impression is. So ensuring that kind of your, your perception on Google or your online visibility, your reputation within Google, ensuring that is accurate and up to date is is paramount. Um, As I kind of touched on at the start, you know, people will be browsing in terms of actually where they take their car, maybe for aftermarket care. They'll be kind of watching a program on the couch. They'll be scrolling through. And if the score or information or reviews aren't aren't positive, then within a split second, you know, they've scrolled by you and they've gone on to the next organization. So it's really imperative in terms of ensuring that information online is accurate um, and that if customers are posting reviews on there, that you're acknowledging them and that you're responding to them. And I think on that point as well, there can be, or I've seen people get quite wary of, of giving bad news or. And actually i think we need to change that mindset as well you know there's lots of analysis there that actually if a customer has a poor experience if you acknowledge it and turn it around um they can become some of your biggest advocates um so i think yeah the online piece is is becoming more and more and, and you're seeing it with different channels as well it's not only google you're seeing the likes of TikTok, uh which my kids are on all the time and, and that's becoming a you know a growing influence as well so yeah the online presence um needs to become a, a key factor
0: Tony, how how did you notice the the rise of online in in your time leading Hyundai? How how much of your time was devoted with um, customers emailing, finding your email address, maybe complaining or praising dealers? And uh, how
1: did that change over the years? Yeah, yeah. Understandably, um, you you can very, very easily find the email address of any CEO if you put your mind to it. And therefore, you have direct access to them. Of course you do. Um, Is that a good thing? it's not a bad thing, to be honest, Um, as long as it's quite tempered and and these things are. But but, hey, online is where everything's going, let's be honest about it. I mean, uh, in terms of what Amazon 400 million uh, people in the UK per month um, they have 400 million visits per month. I mean, that is phenomenal for an e-retailer. And and that sort of gives us, um, hey, every, every week, that means that every week all of us are uh, at least once going on to Amazon. So to me, that says this is a phenomenal situation whereby we are into e-retailing, and you know that therefore is showing itself as to what's going on in the the motor industry is that people are buying cars online, or they're certainly interacting online.
0: Martin, with the work at, at Rocker in particular, a company that's kind of shaken up automotive retail um, in many ways how quick of dealer has been to embrace change to modernize and adapt
3: i think again coming back to my uh, previous statement around covid i think that forced um, everybody to change in fact i was talking to a, a really successful uh, guy who runs a dealer group last night actually and he was just saying you know it it forced us to to move to online and do everything remotely and we cut our cloth accordingly so i think you know it's 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 these kind of moments in time that are driving, driving that change. It's not just, it's, it's not just a tech company coming along. It's, it's circumstances and it's market forces and a number of factors.
0: The questions keep keep flooding in. Thank you. Keep them coming. One from Philip Jin uh, from Inchipay. uh Tony it might be best of you maybe to, to answer. Agency is focused on new car sales, but what do you see as the
1: impact on used cars, trade-ins? Okay, so there are two models with, let's say, the part exchange. So one model is is that the, um, the dealer then takes complete ownership and negotiates the price of the part exchange. The minute that you do that, I have to say, is the minute the inter haggling again. So personally, I don't advocate that. My view is that the OEM, the NSC, should actually give the price of the part exchange. Um, and underwrite that but give the opportunity for the dealer to buy that part exchange it's going to be best for everybody because that therefore means I mean just like it does in in Motability Um, and what that therefore means is that the OEN doesn't have to worry about taking stock in doesn't have to worry about um, price uh, and delivery charges etc etc and I think that's that to me is the best option and it's interesting because Polestar um, didn't allow that, giving the dealers the opportunity to buy them, but now they do. So it, it's sort of this learning position whereby we, whereby I think it works. I think the part exchange is still a great opportunity, and to be honest, dealer network makes serious money out of used cars. That's where they make much more money than they do out of new cars. So my view is, is the part exchange is still a key part of the sales process, and it, it gives the the dealer some profitability in terms of taking in that part exchange and selling it on.
3: Yeah, 100%, 100%, Tony, you know, part exchange is one of the key fundamentals for, for somebody buying a car. You need to answer that question, what's my car worth? I think pretty much everybody, uh, once they've located the car, want to know what, what, what's my car worth, what's the equity and what my payment going to be. So you need to be able to answer all those questions online. And I think a word of caution around part exchange values, I think, again, interestingly, needs to change this mindset that we have. Uh, in the old traditional sales process, where we would try and get the car for as cheap as we could off the customer, we need to be super competitive online, and we need to we need to deliver a, a value or a price for that vehicle that we will stand on. We need to be confident that we're delivering the best value, and some of those underwritten services, of course, are are putting in or building in that that sort of risk um, removal for them. So therefore, they're not delivering the best value. Online for those part exchanges, and it's so easy for the digital native now to go onto We Buy or or anywhere else now to see what they can get um, for for their car. And of course, those platforms are growing exponentially because we're not serving the best value as dealers or OEMs online today. And then what happens is that the dealers go uh, are looking for stock, and they're paying paying way more than they should have. Uh, because they weren't serving competitive values online in the first place. So just a word of caution, I think Park Exchange has to be part of that online journey, but we need to change our mindset. We need to be delivering the best, most up-to-date competitive price on the day, or we're going to lose that opportunity to some of the new entrants.
1: So, Martin, can I just ask you then, so in South Africa, when um, they had the part exchange, how does that work in South Africa under the the agency model? Is that then underwritten by the dealer or is it underwritten by the NSC?
3: Yes, it's it's underwritten by the dealer. So it was quite a tricky one for us to deliver in South Africa. They don't have anything as sophisticated as CAP. Uh, out there, but they they do have a a database of values. We built a platform that almost became like an instantaneous auction for dealers where they preload their their parameters on the the values that are served. And um, they have the option to bid on cars that are being valued as well on the platform they have an hour to um submit their bid and that will go to the highest highest bidder what we find actually is is close uh close to 95 percent of the values don't change that are served online which is a good thing
0: matthew do car makers perhaps underestimate the role of of dealers in looking after their customers caring and managing the customers uh, and their cars after the point of sale um, I don't. I don't think so. I think
2: as um, I think Tony or Martin mentioned earlier, I think it's just a, a slightly different lens, isn't it, and, and a different kind of ultimate objective. Um, and I think uh, you know, from my kind of lived experience, I suppose it's a it's a bit of a pendulum. You know, we see some within networks that are hugely passionate and. and want to get involved and build those relationships and have that longevity with their customers. Um, and others, for whatever reason, different challenges, not necessarily that they don't want to, but for whatever reason, it it just doesn't quite happen. So I think the intent is there. I think just sometimes from probably, um, you know, OEMs, it's just around that different perspective. You know, they, they kind of set very strict targets and rigorous process. And then sometimes it's actually going through, you know, seeing it a customer or being, you know, seeing the dealer as a, a customer and actually thinking, okay, how does that work in practice? How does that work in reality? Does it make life easier for the, for the dealer or not? Um, and I think in terms of, you know, from dealers to customers and OEMs to dealers, it is around actually, how do we make life easier for everybody? Um, because that's ultimately what we we all want. And, and dealers have, and, and Martin will attest to this, I'm sure, um, You know, they have loads of systems, they have loads of logins, things don't always talk to each other, so processes become cumbers- cumbersome and complex. Um, and I think it's around actually how do we kind of help eradicate that. And I think, like I say, from an OEM, it's around, and I think it's getting better, and this is just kind of my view, but I think it's around actually how can... They help dealers more um, and how do they just make life easier? Um, sometimes there's so many targets, different systems. It, it just becomes overcomplicated and, and difficult to manage in, in my experience.
0: Mark, just a follow-up to you on that. So my interest, in own interest as much as anything, what's the physical IT challenge of, of, a, of a, for a dealer looking to transition to, to a new system? I can't, can't imagine it's a simple simple process to change
3: well no for, for for the reason that uh, matthew just outlined and and obviously uh, online is a new channel and it's being introduced into traditional sales processes as well which all have a tech stack to support all that uh, that sort of legacy there i think the, the challenge for dealers today is to know whether they invest in their own online platform or they or they align themselves with their OEMs they, as as Tony said the OEMs that are going D to C have to have an online platform to deliver the trans transparent price. So perhaps it's not the smartest investment to um, spend a lot of money for a dealer on developing your own new car platform, but perhaps a used car platform is is probably the safer route at the moment, because that that also is is not the cheapest, and there are lots and lots. Of, it's a minefield when it comes to selecting. Uh, what level of online platform you should um, use. It's a bit like a car. You know, I've got a car. I could rock up Silverstone and race Lewis Hamilton, but I'm not going to win. They're both cars. It's, and, but there's also lots of e-commerce platforms out there delivering different types of journey and and, and different stages. So it, it's a
1: minefield.
0: Question: An audience question here is from Simon Monks, who's head of fleet and business at Jaguar Land Rover Limited. What is the panel's view on the inventory risk, getting the mix wrong, and the inability for OEMs to wholesale their way out of problems under agency? Tony, do you want
1: to take that? Yeah, I don't mind taking that one. Uh, It's dead right. You know, I think think the biggest risk is not with the dealers. It's not with the customers. The biggest risk is the NSC. Uh, The NSC's core competency is not about um, uh, retailing cars. And historically me being one of them, in when, when an NSC has too much stock, what do we do? We wholesale them big time to the dealer network, get them off our books. And it's then down to the dealer to then move those vehicles on. That's not what an NSC has the competence of doing, of retaining those quickly. However, there is no reason. I mean, in the pure agency model, what the idea is that an NSC might see, oh, I've got all of these, you know, these hundred um, green cars that I need to move on and what they will do is they will talk directly to those customers who've got the blue cars at the moment saying oh have we got a great deal for you look for the same price you can have a brand new car it happens to be green but it's just a, it's in it. it's brand new and you've got a, a car that's a year old that's the that's how it should work that will take a long time to get there I still believe that what they will do they will go to fleets they will go to dealers as well and they will sell those cars to them even in the agency model that will happen this is, this is a good point where we've been talking a lot about um, dealers needing to evolve
3: and OEMs transitioning to retailers, and we've already covered that off, but this is an area where they need to evolve around um, vehicle uh, inventory planning. So historically, it's usually done once a year. It's, it's retrospective, look back on what got registered and, and what's our growth and let's order those. Because I mean, let's face it, the market every year is determined by the stock that's planned the year before. It's going to get registered. But we've been working with a number of partners to use data in a very different way so rather than looking at what got ordered by somebody 18 months ago and and what's been registered is actually because you've now got all this amazing digital data that's flowing through your websites your e-commerce funnels use the customer behavior by looking up the funnel look at the cars they're configuring look at the specification the color and and look what they're putting to a wish list, which is some months out from where they're probably going to purchase. Look what's in basket. And, and look at that to, to inform your inventory, ordering, and planning. Don't look at what was registered 18 months ago. Everybody forgets the £5,000 tactical support that was used to move that car on, and you just order some more of them. So turn the whole thing around on its head. Look at what the consumers are actually looking at, not what you think they want. And that will help control the the problem of overstocking in the future.
1: I think as well what um, is very interesting about uh, what happened in Sweden with Mercedes is that when Mercedes went to their uh, agency model is they cut down over a couple of months. They dramatically cut down the number of variants in each model lineup. Uh, And that has to be a necessity. They cannot have an extensive model lineup and bring Mm. those vehicles in because otherwise they'll be stuck with them. And historically, Mm. they would just dump those on the dealers. Let's be honest, they'd wholesale them to the dealers. That is not possible anymore, fundamentally. Uh, So therefore, they will restrict it. What is fascinating about Lincoln Co. is Lincoln Co. sell one car in two colours. And they have Mm. never had problems about Mm. people saying, Oh, if only did more colours. Because it's that age-old situation when you say to a customer, So, um, what colour do you want? And the customer will always say, What colours do you do? They don't say, Oh, I yeah. like a yellow one. So <laughs> therefore you say, Well, these are the three colours we do. Okay, well, I love that one. So it, it is about the, as as Martin says, it's all about the, the OEMs now restricting um the model lineup such that the NSC does not get bottled with a large amount of inventory.
0: Matthew, perhaps building a bit more on what, what Martin said then about sort of reading the market and forecasting. Why is it important then for for brands to do more competitor analysis than of evident before and and what's the changing role of, of looking at what your arrivals are doing at the moment? So I think, yeah,
2: it's um it's I think it's becoming increasingly important and it, it's really difficult. And so everybody's super busy and it is difficult to sometimes look outside of your own world. But we're we're starting to work with organizations you know nationally and locally that competitor kind of analysis and intelligence is becoming really really important for them um in particular around kind of online activity it's all public data so people are utilizing that to their advantage and actually at a local level we're starting to see you know people are kind of spying but they're looking at what other people are doing they're seeing what the strengths are what their weaknesses are and they're actually um changing their own then tactical approach to say actually this competitor isn't particularly strong or wouldn't appear to be particularly strong in, in x area actually that's an area that we're going to kind of really dominate so um you know we've been working with a, a kind of roadside service um provider and they're looking at their competitors and, and what they're doing around ev charging in particular um and that's something that this then becomes to, to the forefront for them based on analysis that they're doing around other competitors so it's, it's 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 really important um and it, but it's just making sure i think that um information is up to date and, and accurate but you know oems a lot of the time you know in terms of syndicated studies they can be quite dated and they are looking quite far back um, and i think it's around just trying to ensure that you're looking at the here and now and, and kind of martin touched on around the ordering process i it, think it, it's kind of looking forward rather than looking too much back um but as we say expectation is changing all the time and um if you stand still then you're you're going to be in trouble so
0: martin the physical uh experience of a car dealership how can that change and and does it need to i mean we've heard of the years that there are a place to go and plug your electric car in and go a cup of go and have a cup of coffee is that kind of living in the real world or, or, or do dealerships, can they can they evolve? Should they? Do they need to?
3: Yeah, I think, I mean, we touched on this earlier on, didn't we, with um, D2C, that it removes that competitive nature of the existing experience, which enables you to transition and focus away on delivering that immersive experience and and, and delivering those memorable moments that perhaps will set you apart from... Uh, a a competitor so it becomes less about price more about the experience and I think that was also being spoken to uh, spoken about by Matthew earlier on so I think it's all leading that way to much more of an experiential um, delivery in in the supply chain for dealers.
2: I think just on that point as well Mark in terms of I suppose if you look at other industries you see like coffee shops now they're you know they're invading i will say invading but they're they're appearing in in kind of you know clothes shops and and different areas you know you you go to sports shops and they've got kind of games areas around consoles and things they're giving customers another reason to go there and i think potentially with dealers we've seen you know over my time i've seen some fantastic examples where kind of free car washes and ice creams on a saturday or whatever it kind of gives people a reason to go there and then again you're getting more immersed in that kind of location or that brand you're seeing what other product offerings that they've got accessories um and you know it's never necessarily going to be a you know, it, it's always a degree of a distress purchase, maybe, but actually giving customers another reason to visit, um, I, I think kind of will help no end.
3: Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's, it becomes ever challenging for dealers as the demand for bigger and bigger facilities push them further and further out of town. You really got to incentivize the customer to come in, make get up, turn to your partner, say, should we just drive to the local dealer for a coffee? I think it, it's got to be more than that and I think it's interesting what you said there Matthew about coffee shops popping up they're they're putting themselves in front of the consumer where the consumer is and I think that's that's why we decided when we came back to the market in 2014 to take the brands and 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 thank you Tony for giving us the opportunity with Hyundai all those years ago taking the taking the brand uh, to the consumer and and being able to deliver a very different experience in a very relaxed environment so it was completely different for a consumer to walk into one of our stores versus a traditional dealership.
0: Tony, uh, you may have been in over the years. Dealers have been asked by, by OEMs to invest so much in, in bricks and mortar sites, but it seems from a drip feed of news here and there, a rumor here and there that, that many of these franchises under under review with agency. What kind of friction would this cause between OEMs and dealers?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll be completely honest with you. Is that uh I can say this nowadays, is that OEMs <laughs> do have these vanity projects, um, which do end up costing the dealer a huge amount of money. Uh under the agency, they're not allowed to do that. If it's a pure agency model, that is illegal. They just can't do that. Anything that is that is brand specific under an agency model has to be paid for by the, the brand itself, by the the NSC. Um, having said all of that, I do believe that. Whether it be agency or quasi-agency, whatever it happens to be, I do believe that people are much more aware that getting dealers to spend huge amounts of money um, on their facilities is not the be-all and end-all. It is more about the actual experience, which is to do with the online Uh, experience but also to do with the interpersonal skills it's not quite so much to do with the premises and to be honest what I can see happening is I can see more um, multi-franchise sites happening rather than big solar sites happening Uh, I do believe that that's going to be another function it sort of comes in a little bit what Matthew was saying and Martin was saying about you know is there other reasons why I should go to this site here yes actually this is a massive site I can put three brand experiences in this site um it's a better utilization of resources um, it, it it sort of fits better with what a customer wants uh, so from my perspective I think that there's going to be some dilution of Solus facilities and more towards multi-franchise sites but still keeping that brand identity
2: I think as well just to add to Tony's point it, you can you cannot underestimate the, the power of people and your employees and um like most industries i think um auto is quite incestuous but i think it is changing you know i was speaking to somebody a few months ago and they you know they are starting to look in terms of customer experience they were looking at people outside of auto so actually they were looking for people that were really skilled in customer experience so whether that's hospitality or retail and then bringing that into their environment in terms of again systems process you can kind of teach those and actually it's fantastic to to get an outside in view you know a new pair of eyes in terms of how you run things and again i've t- kind of touched on it a few times before but it's around you know people know what good looks like and you're not just competing around auto you're competing around other industries so utilizing you know brilliant people that have got naturally good people skills again is really critical because people buy from people
0: and, and just saying of you, mafia how do you begin to understand what really drives customer advocacy and loyalty and how how important or how up for grabs is customer loyalty going to be with, with the switch to digital in, in the way we buy and sell cars? Yeah, I think from a,
2: a customer experience perspective, based on my own knowledge, it's it, it, there's lots of metrics around um, and people know that a higher score is generally better than a lower score and people, OK, that's great. But I think a key in terms of trying to drive that is, is context, and, and to then your point, Mark, around you know some of the work that we were doing as a collective when I worked at Volkswagen Group UK was really mapping out the customer journey and linking that, you know, the CX data to business data, so linking it to retention data, to customer value data, and then start plotting that against the customer journey to then say actually we've got a real friction point or pain point in the customer journey here, and we know that if we get that wrong. 20 percent of customers 15 percent of customers are less likely to return and then the average value of those customers is x once you then start saying you know physical pound note numbers that really grabs people's attention um so i think it's around trying to again, it's it's a real challenge because there is so much data out there but linking kind of engagement customer engagement and crm and cx data i think is really important because not only does it help you kind of look back in terms of what's happened previously but you can also start to use that data to predict future behavior um you know the volumes of data that vw were looking at you could then start to determine to say as i said actually if you get a particular point wrong in the journey there's potentially this this impact and that really grabs attention and i think you know loyalty is always up for grabs you know it's history dictates that the you know you know the hunter becomes the hunted and um it's it's really difficult to kind of maintain that high standard, you know. In terms of a CX perspective, people think it's it's quite easy, and I suppose in theory or the theory of it sounds quite easy. But actually, in reality, delivering a great customer experience consistently day in day out is a real challenge. You know, staff turnover, sickness, new products, you know, delays, trying to maintain and, and be aware of all that and deliver what's best for the customer is is not always easy.
1: I think as well, what's what I find quite interesting about moving forward let's say to some sort of agency model is the focus is going to be on the handover as we've already said and the handover is the most enjoyable part for the customer um the worst part for the customer is the close and the haggling bit and if you say that that's gone gone away then all of a sudden this whole customer experience becomes a, a much nicer experience and if the dealer says because historically the dealer hasn't focused so much on the handover because they've got the money and it's like now where's the next sale but actually if they can focus on the handover and make the handover to the fulcrum point of making sure that they can have an ongoing relationship with the customer because that's where the money can be made the money can be made and by the dealer on the after sales on the selling of the add-ons Um, on the uh, on the interaction with the customer on moving forward so it almost comes that becomes um, a a, a real key point at the handover which the customer is enjoying and it enables the dealer themselves to ensure that they have an ongoing relationship and therefore a profitable relationship with that customer moving forward so it could be a really key moment moving forward
0: Question from the floor, um, from Sam Shah, uh, VPS limited. We've heard why the agency model can work well. Why might it not work well? What are the downsides to implementing this model with the unique car buying culture in the UK? Will customers lose value with the removal
3: of discounts? Martin, do you want to take that one? Wow, that, that, that is a good question. Would the customer lose value? No, I, I don't think so. I think because you've got one transparent price, you you the consumer is comfortable that they've paid the right price. I think in the in existing um, negotiable model, you're never quite sure whether your neighbor's got a better deal than, than, than you or not. And of course, having that ability to single price the car across the nation also removes that ambiguity uh, for, what the true value of the vehicle is, and therefore it should stabilize um, those residual values. And particularly if you deploy some of those um, data-led inventory management methodologies we're talking about, so your supply is right, I think it it, it should firm up residual value. So ultimately delivering lower PCPs, lower contract hire, uh, easier renewals, and, and deliver better value for the consumer.
0: Matthew you touched before on on employees within this is car retail good at attracting people to come and work in in the industry and can can digital and a new way of selling cars attract a new talent pool uh, into the industry
2: yeah I think as I touched on earlier I I think it's getting better and as i kind of mentioned with a few things I think it's a bit of a pendulum some do it really well others maybe maybe not so but I think again going back to kind of online reputation not only is that important from i suppose a new customer perspective but it's also really important now from future employee perspective um people are becoming not necessarily more picky but you know they you know values and you know environment and kind of sustainability all of these kind of things as an example are becoming really important so you know future employees want to find out about who they're potentially going to be working for and kind of the pros and cons for that so again around you know online experience if you've got negative reviews on glassdoor as an example kind of trying to ensure that you're you've positioned yourself as positive as you can do online it is is really important because future employees will do their do their research um and i think again it's you know it's a challenge for all industries it's it's becoming really difficult to find and retain good people so um outside of uh, of work i'm i'm a a trustee of, of a of a trust um, locally to me and trying to recruit and find good teachers is really difficult. And I think it's a challenge for, for every industry. So, um, I think everybody does need to kind of sharpen their pencils and, and really think about actually, you know, employee engagement and employee experience, and actually, you know, how do you make people feel trusted and valued? And, and, you know, again, that old allege that, you know, happy customers, um, sorry, happy employees is, is happy customers. And I, th- and, and I think that's true. And I think, you know, the employee focus is is growing and we're seeing a, a lot more of that reputation.
1: Actually, just can I just come in on that and linking the last two questions together because <clears throat> um, people are significantly important. We all know that, uh, but if you get the right people in the dealership, in the agency model, then my belief, and those are people who are worried, about, uh, who are focusing on the customer, not on the deal. They're focusing on the customer because the deal has been taken away from them they focus on the customer, then I believe that the agency model for the dealer is actually a good thing, um, because it will enable a longer term relationship with the customer.
2: Yeah.
1: Where are the negatives to the agency? Really? Where are the, neg- the, agency- the negative to the agency is with the NSC. Um, I think the OEM, that's the manufacturer. They go, this is a really good idea. We can g- get more margin. The dealer, if they adapt and get the right people, they can leverage and make the benefits out of the agency model. It's the people in the middle. It's the NSC. I've come from an NSC. Let me tell you now, we are not good at retailing. That's not what we do. So it, therefore we have to focus on the things that we are good at and almost give some of those opportunity in terms of the, the chatting to the people. That goes very much still back to the dealer, but it's I don't think that the NSC has got the core competencies in many of them to properly do a good agency model at the moment. That's where, that's where the... I think the pinch point is is with the NSC. Interesting.
0: Another question here. Well, two questions I could probably link together. One from Paul Reeve from Kazoo. Uh, a question to Tony, um, who works at Kazoo. What is your view on Kazoo and, and Cinch? And I guess that could lead into Sue McAlister's question on, do you see online marketplaces like these as,
1: as a threat to dealer profitability? <laughs> okay, great question. Thank you very much for that one. Okay, what do I think? I think that Kazoo has got a lot of good things Cinch has got a really good things because a lot of it is done online. And I know a number of people who bought their vehicles online. Um, and that's, that's great. I suppose my big question is, is that when you get the car, um, and you're driving it down the road and there's like a little rattle on the car, you go, oh God, I'm now going to go and get hold of Kazoo and sort it out. Whereas if this were a local dealer, I could just pop into the local dealer and say, can you just fix this for me now? That to me is where I think the, so there's some really good things. I think they have challenged people and said, look, there's an online opportunity here, and that's great. But I'm still very much about how does the local situation really work? So I think there's some really good things. I think there's some challenges with going entirely online. There's a great bit of research um, went on about buying entirely online. And only 5% of the people said that they wanted to buy the car absolutely online and have the car delivered directly to them. This is brand new cars. Um, 14% said they only wanted to go into the dealer and do everything on the dealer. Everybody else wants to do the two of them. So I feel that where the situation on new cars is, is it does get the two together. Um, In terms of the agency model, it has the online and it has the physical. I think Kazoo Kazoo and Cinch have really challenged the whole industry as to how online could work. Um, And I think that there perhaps needs to be with the agency model that adds that benefit of being in-person as well. Question from Patrick Fuller. Hello, Patrick, Uh, from Sothis Free,
0: Uh, digital is better at transaction than selling what innovation in digital do you anticipate in persuading customers to buy the role that dealers are, are typically so good at? Matthew or, or Martin, do you want to take that one?
2: So I think if, if I've understood the correct, uh, question correctly, I, th- I think from my perspective and, and kind of me, again, it all goes back to relationship and utilising technology around forming those relationships. So Tony made a really good point in terms of selling selling online. Kind of You get to a point in the journey and then as a customer, it's kind of, okay where do i go and i think again you know social there's so much opportunity around you know education and awareness around product features and kind of you know remedying any kind of particular issues i think again kind of that education and it's a bit of a strange word that we use sometimes but making yourself kind of sticky in terms of actually okay if, if i've got an issue or if i want to be informed about something i know exactly where i need to go to to get that information that would kind of be my take i don't know whether that answers fully the question but
3: yeah i, I think the, it, there's a danger in in looking and reading at some of the stats you know we've 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 watched from the sidelines about what people will do and what they won't do online you know i can remember just a few years ago there was a um an inquiry management company had, had um published an article saying we've surveyed a group of people and they won't pay they won't buy a car online if the value goes over 15 and a half Thousand pounds which is utter nonsense you know we work with one partner's average invoice value is ninety eight pound online full end-to-end online sales and i will come back to um a car and a car are not the same and an e-commerce platform an e-commerce platform is not the same so if you look at what's available across the span of oems and dealers the the, the functionality and the ability of their e-commerce platforms to fully empower a customer to make a purchasing decision. And Matthew, you're right about uh, being able to surface reviews. You know, think about your own behavior on Amazon. You never buy a new product without reading the the service and, and, and about the product and get reassurance that it's right. You know, so mapping everything together that customer needs to make an informed decision. It's just not there across the, the automotive industry. You know, it's like saying if Amazon had shops, would it suddenly go from 100% online to 4 or 5% online? No, it wouldn't, because you can answer all the customers' questions. You completely empower the customer to make their, their online, online decisions. So, yes, there is lots of innovation to come in the online space. There is such a broad breadth of difference between e-commerce platform one and e-commerce platform 10 and and everything in between at the moment. So going back to the Amazon analogy, it's just 10 across the board and it works. And I think that's that's where we'll be looking at the innovation coming through to fully empower the customer so they don't have to go off and research. You know, if I look at our sister retail company, 65% of the customers are doing full end-to-end and 86% of them delivered to the house. And, you know, I'm not saying we have got the, well, maybe I am saying we've got the world's best platform, one of them, and it, and it enables the customers to be able to make that choice. But then there is still a large amount of people within there that like to um, contact our online inquiry team via live chat or through phone. We make them super accessible just to help them uh, on their way and, and usually the question isn't how do i check out it's usually does this car come with i couldn't i couldn't quite find the, the the right information so people do need a help along the line but i think the opportunity for full end-to-end sales is massive if we all get the innovations right and we all join the dots up correctly question that mentions the tesla
0: word but bit like later. bring it in with uh, such a hot topic with only a few minutes ago, but Tony, you might want to take this one from Andrew Barrows, a principal consultant at AB Consulting Services Limited. Surely, the agency model demands that OEMs behave consistently. Hasn't the recent behaviour of Tesla, abrupt price drops, damaged that credibility?
1: Uh, the answer is probably yes. <laughs> um uh, I mean, they did it for certain reasons, didn't they? They needed to actually get a large number of vehicles out by the year end in order to keep uh, the shareholders happy. So it was it was a big reaction. I think, I think that's a, the issue there is that what you've got is I'm going to say a maverick, but it, let's just call, say there is a maverick involved here. Um, and therefore there's some very, very quick actions that can be taken. We have a direct model, like they've got there's an agency, there's a direct, they can just say, right, let's press the button and off it all goes. Um, th- that's dangerous. That's very, very dangerous. Um, I think that some lots of good things about the direct model, but there's a lot of bad things as well in terms of there isn't some, there isn't sort of a, a callback, So, so the, the dealer network can come back and say, hang on a minute, that doesn't quite work. What are you doing here? Whereas when the direct model that Tesla has, um, that's, that was a bit of a, a reflex action that was taken by an OEM. And that's what happens when, when those sorts of things occur. I think with the agency model, you've got this tempering effect, uh, which the agents themselves enable.
0: Got time for, for one more question, and I'll put it to each of you with a quick quick 30-second response. Um, crystal ball time, car retail I- I- in 10 years, what does it look like? A huge question for 30 seconds, but... but... Sorry, can you say that again?
3: Repeat that, Mark.
0: <laughs> a crystal ball, car retail within 10 years. If I go to buy a car in 2030... How am I going to do it? And how will that experience change from today? Martin, I'll come to you first.
3: I think broadly similar to what we have today, although, as I said, the the, the roles that people play in the supply chain will change. And hopefully we move to more of this experiential uh, model that we talked about earlier on. There's full transparency. All OEMs and dealers are using uh, fully competent e-commerce platforms that truly allow the customer to decide where, when, and how they buy their vehicle, be it on the site or be it on their platform. Tony?
2: I think, yeah, just to, I suppose, echo Martin's point, I think it's all around the choice, isn't it? As long as it's viable, you have to give customers the choice of how they want to purchase and interact. Um, And I don't see that changing, because I think if, unless things drastically change, if you start to close off certain channels, um, then you create problems for yourself. So I think choice has always got
1: to be at the forefront
2: as long as it's viable.
1: 100%. Yeah, and from my point of view, uh, digital is key. Um, There's going to be many, many more transactions being done by millennials, Gen Zs. I mean, they already make up 49% of the population today. That's only going to grow because us oldies aren't going to be around. So uh, what's going to happen is that they transact online. uh, But I do think that they want to go and see the car, touch the car. This isn't a can of beans. This is a car. So they want to go and see it as well. So there has to have that interaction between digital online and actually transacting online and then going to experience the car at certain key points. So I think that the model is changing. There's a lot of what we already have that is already good. um, But the environment is changing such that it needs to be more digitally oriented.
0: Thank you very much. Tony, Martin, Matthew, thank you for giving up your your time today. Uh, Thank you for reputation and for supporting us this webinar today. And thank you all for for listening and and watching today and so many great questions. Uh, We'll see you very soon on Autocar Business Live. Thank you very much.